Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. We've got a lot to get through this week, so I'm going to crack straight on in there. Um, I, I think growing up uh, in the late 60s and early 1970s, there were very few images which uh, struck me more directly than those coming out of Vietnam. Uh, also those coming out of Northern Ireland and the Troubles and uh, coming out of Paris out of the May 68 riots. For some reason, those, the idea of photography um, as a communicative tool that was really kind of cutting straight through to what was important was kind of very much embedded in my psyche through those images and from that time. Uh, over the last week or so, I saw something which I thought was worth uh, commenting on. Uh, Disturb Collective um, have emerged out of a need for stories, evidently, often locked away behind paywalls inside magazines or lost within the incessant chattering of media elites. Key stories um, were being missed, they felt, by huge chunks of the population. So they came up with a solution. And that solution was to stick them up on the walls of densely populated cities. The photographs that weren't being seen, that they put up on the walls of Paris, London, New York, and actually anywhere else they could. So who are Disturbed Collective? Well, they're a collective of photographers, war journalists and artists. Um, and they've been using these urban spaces to tackle world's, um, well, big issues really since 2014. They've had campaigns such as uh, hashtag reframe climate and hashtag women matter. And they've uh, made an impact on both sides of the Atlantic with this stuff, post, uh, pasting more than 2,000 posters around the world and giving media literacy workshops to more than 10,000 students. So obviously when COVID hit, um, they jumped to it. Uh, to offer an alternative take on the crisis. So I hadn't heard of the Disturbed Collective before. That's Disturbed, by the way, uh, spelt D-Y-S-T-U-R-B. And um, what I've just told you there is a little bit of blurb that I found and bits and pieces that I've been able to kind of mesh together to give you some kind of an idea of what they're up to. But it seems important to me at this stage to um, to certainly uh, let you know about people who are using photography in such a direct manner and also I suppose bringing it to the people. One of the things I suppose which also connects with that that I saw over the last week, um, that idea of photography and the people um, rather than the man and sticking it to the man, um, it was a number of, uh, I suppose I've seen it for a while now, but I saw a, one particular competition that made me think really are we are we still doing this and it was a, a mobile phone photography competition as if that this was some new thing as if photography created on a mobile phone was uh, any different than any other photography it was just using the right tool for the job so to me that seemed incredibly strange and it, it still feels strange to me when I see photographers referring to images that they're putting on social media or uh, that they're showing to anybody and, and kind of giving them that caveat of it's a mobile phone snap. It isn't. It's just a photograph. And maybe that's all we need to say about it. We don't need surely at this point to keep pointing out the type of camera that was used. 
Surely we just show the photograph. I've spoken over the last couple of weeks about the financial situation that a lot of photographers find themselves in. And in a way, I think, and you know, this is a lot of areas of retail and everything else, I think, are, are in this situation where it's those who had previously been struggling that have really been hit hardest um, by the COVID situation. For a long time, I've known that magazines, and certainly for the last 10 years or so, have been in a massive decline, with a lot of them losing huge advertising revenue, as well as uh, readers. There's a whole load of reasons for this, behind distribution, behind costs, and so forth. And we don't need to go into that at this point. But I did think it was interesting to see uh, last week that um, the Music Monthly Q is one of 10 magazines that could disappear from newsagent shelves as one of the UK's biggest publishers considers the future of print titles as the coronavirus crisis. Um, it says hastens to shift readers and advertisers online. That was the little uh, kind of story I spotted there on the Guardian newspaper. But uh, the German-owned Bauer Media Group which uh, owns Q as well as uh, all those other magazines that, that they own in the UK, uh, have been for a long time talking about selling and moving out of the UK with these titles. So al although they also uh, own radio stations such as Kiss, Magic and Absolute, um, the magazines have been struggling. So the magazines which the publisher have said are following a review of its portfolio, it's considering closing, selling, merging or moving to digital only format, include Q, um, a few other magazines such as uh, Your Horse and Planet Rock and Sea Angler, maybe ones which you're not necessarily familiar with, but also one you may be, which is Practical Photography. And I think that's an interesting... Uh, kind of title there to, to be seen to be closing because for so long practical photography was the the kind of gateway for so many people wanting to learn about photography and of course that's now done online and so it's no surprise that practical photography to me was amongst those titles uh, perhaps due to close but maybe what we're also talking about here is a bigger picture around publishing. And, and, you know, publishing is the platform that so many of us grew up with photography coming to us through magazines. And obviously many uh, photographers have been reliant upon magazines uh, to get their income, although that's been dropping dramatically over the last few years. It's certainly time for a rethink as to how we engage with photography and how we actually look to find clients and people to support what we do. But I think it's pretty clear that what we can't do anymore is rely on those big-time publishers. I've spoken in previous podcasts about the, uh, the kind of resurgence of art-based programmes on um, television during this COVID situation. And I've also spoken out about the idea of making creativity, the creative industries, a competitive area. Over the last week or so, this seems to be kind of getting to a, a real kind of uh, black and white situation of extremes. 
In one hand, I've seen programs around extreme flower arranging and extreme crafting. Suddenly, it's not enough to turn the creativity which keeps all of us um, going, really, into a competition. We now evidently need to turn it into an extreme conversation, uh, competition with people shouting and trying to outdo each other with the outrageousness of their behaviour. Some would argue that the photographic community is similarly split. But whilst that's been going on, I've continued to be watching Grayson Perry's Gentle and Reflective Art Club, which I really find, despite a few elements of it, which are slightly annoying, but um, primarily that idea of bringing in comedians who paint. But anyway, that's a personal feeling. Um, but I've been watching that Reflective Art Club and also BBC Four gave us an evening of life drawing to join in with. I know which of these two approaches to the creative arts work best for me. And I think I know which of these two approaches work best for creatives also. This week, we welcome to the podcast to explain to us what photography means to him, Michael Majors. Michael's a documentary photographer and journalist based in New York City, working on a long-term documentary project uh, kind of practice. He's a frequent collaborator with the online publication Roads and Kingdoms, and uh, was le that led to him uh, being the photographer on the award-winning books Rice Noodle Fish and Grape Olive Pig. Since uh, 2013, he's photographed the shokunin, or master craftspeople in Japan, this work has taken him from the ateliers of top ceramic artists, sword makers and kimono weavers to the taboo underworld of Japanese traditional tattooing. Outside of Japan, Majors continues to explore the personality it takes to dedicate one's life to perfecting the smallest of details, with an abiding interest in the obsessive need to create. Majors' images are exhibited both internationally and in the US, and have appeared in print publications including Time, Smithsonian, Vogue Italia, Huck and The Washington Post. His first monograph, Independent Mysteries, was published by Hatcher Kantz and uh, debuted at the Parry Photo in 2019. Michael's work documenting craftsmanship in Japan was named a 2016 Critical Mass finalist and in 2019 he was shortlisted for the Haraban Award. This is Mike Majors. Um, I'm a documentary photographer. I live in New York City, and I'm going to attempt to answer what is a, a very, I think, open-ended and interesting question about my relationship with photography, which is, you know, what does it mean to me? And I think the simplest answer is that that relationship is, is always changing. It's always evolving and, and always developing. Um, I didn't go into photography in any traditional way. I didn't study it in school. Um, I worked uh, in the business world for many years. Um, I think initially my first experience with photography was, was as a kid. My dad uh, is, a, is a talented photographer, um, or, or was. He doesn't really do it anymore. He's moved on to painting and sculpting, but... He um, put a put a Canon AE1 in my hands at a pretty early age, and I 
you know, started to play with it, started to explore. Um, and uh, that, I think, was my first introduction. As, as I got a bit older and was, was working for an import-export company in the early 2000s, I found myself in, um, in the developing world quite often uh, in places like rural Mexico for months at a time. And uh, I sort of reestablished a relationship with photography then. Uh, it was kind of at the, the, the uh, early stages of, of digital cameras being more available in the consumer market, and it was just easier to pick up a camera and shoot, you know. Um, and so that was, that was a, a kind of a reinvigoration. And then I, I went through this period of, of kind of deep emotional turmoil. I went through a, a really difficult divorce, and I kind of dove into photography as a means of escape. It was a, it was a way for me to be really present in a moment um, and to be connected in a moment and to be distracted from a lot of the, the pain that I was feeling. And um, there's a lot of kind of angsty uh, images from that, from that period in my life. And it was, you know, that uh, commitment to sort of developing technique and, and really playing with uh, the uh, emotional and subconscious aspects of the medium that I think kind of led me more into the place that, that I was or I am uh, today, you know, which is working primarily in the documentary space and spending, you know, uh, many years focused on a, on a specific subject and trying to kind of develop those projects and tell those stories uh, and, you know, find those things that about which I'm, I'm really interested and want to connect to. And I think that, you know, really leads me to um, where photography for me is, you know, or has been over the past uh, a few years, which is really as a, as a medium for my own curiosity, as a way for me to explore things that I wanted to understand better um, from a number of different perspectives and that I wanted to experience in a very intimate way. And that I think is the, is, is the, the behind the lens side uh, of the documentary world. And that is, you know, that to be in these really close quarters and to, you know, really experience what your subjects are experiencing allows for um, the type of images that I want to make. I want to be close. I want to be um, you know, feeling what they're feeling in some way, shape, or form as best as possible uh, to get the shot. And I think, look, it's far easier to do that um, with the subjects that I've worked with, which are things like you know, craftsmanship in Japan and you know, traditional tattooing and these sorts of things uh, that, that you know, it's not conflict work. I don't need to be shot at um, to have that experience. Uh, it is important, though, to find that intimacy and that connection um, in the work so that it, it translates into the image itself and that there is a give and take, a communication between myself and, and my subjects too. Um, so that's, that's been, I think, the thing that has constantly driven me forward, this need to explore, this need to understand and connect and satisfy just my own, you know, innate curiosity about the world around me. And, and the camera is, is merely... A, a skeleton key that allows me to open these doors and to be able to unearth these little moments that are such treasures. So I don't know what my relationship with photography will be in the future um, and where it will morph and turn and uh, develop. 
but I know that it will. Uh, and I think that's the sort of exciting and um, somewhat terrifying piece of this this whole process. Uh, I never considered myself, you know, an artist. I never considered myself anything other than someone who was kind of documenting the world around me. And, and now I've realized that there is more of an emotional internal life that I can explore. And I'm curious to see where that leads. Thank you, Michael, for your contribution this week. Um, as all contributions are really useful, I think, and really um, helps us all, I think, reflect on where we are and where we're going. I certainly know from the emails I receive from you that um, these contributions, and in fact, these podcasts, um, are really helpful, and that's really great. If you go back through the podcasts, as I know a lot of you are, you'll hear so often the... Um, the kind of instigation to photography comes from a parent or a close family friend uh, passing on a camera to somebody who perhaps had never considered it before. And that kind of being the gateway to photography. I was talking about uh, magazines, photography magazines being the gateway earlier. But of course, that emotional thing, that, that uh, passing of confidence to say, hey, here's a camera or here's a photography book take a look at it have a go of it i think you might have some fun that's so often the case isn't it that's the beginning for so many photographers careers i think also um in this time of lockdown which i know has been dominating the last uh, few months now of the podcast but i mean it's a photographic life and and therefore i'm afraid it does reflect what's going on um in this time of lockdown, a lot of you, and, and certainly I, have been involved in um, home teaching. You know, that idea that suddenly, as well as everything else we, we do, we've got to become a teacher. And um, really, I suppose that there's an opportunity there to introduce our children to elements of creativity that perhaps don't fit into a uh, strict education format. I know I've been doing that with my youngest daughter to great effect and um, her confidence is really growing with her drawing. So that was something that didn't fit into formal education. And I suppose the idea of handing somebody a camera and say, saying to them, go off and document what you see, especially when they're like seven, eight, nine, ten years of age, that very formative time. Anyway, not much time uh, before uh, I have to say goodbye this week, but just a big thank you to all of you for your support for the podcast. Uh, as you've seen this week, we've had a lot to get through. I hope I haven't tripped up over too many words. hope I haven't spoken too quickly, but certainly seems to be a time of uh, change. And when there's a time of change, you know the one thing you better do. Just take care. Mm -hmm.